So we are wrapping up our series, Kingdom Manifesto, today. Have you guys enjoyed this series over the last 16 weeks? Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. That didn't seem as enthusiastic as maybe I would have hoped, but I'm okay with that. Maybe some of you didn't get the coffee, okay? But um, I thought it was an incredible series. Uh, I was encouraged in many ways to, to learn the heart of Jesus. I was challenged in many other ways. And I think a lot of times we want just encouragement from the word, right? But did you know that the word is intended to also be something that God uses to challenge us, to challenge us to growth, to challenge us to understand what it is to, to walk in a manner worthy of the call, to understand what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so this was really a helpful series for me as a, as a, as a person, not just as a pastor. And uh, I hope you guys had that same experience. But we are wrapping it up today. And, and we see actually after uh, Jesus taught through his Sermon on the Mount. That's what our series was based in. After he taught the Sermon on the Mount, there was a response in the audience, and, and we're going to get there in just a moment, but you need to know that, that what Jesus had just done at the end of the Sermon on the Mount was lay out a couple choices that people have. He said there's, there's two choices about the path that we'll journey on, right? We could journey on the wide path that's broad, that's open, that's easy, that enters through a broad gate. That many will go into that place, but what they don't realize is that once they enter that broad gate, that there's this narrowness and even death beyond that gate. And then he says that's one choice, and there's another choice. There's this narrow path, a path that's actually hard, that word meaning where you'll experience affliction, where you'll experience suffering and pain. But though it's a narrow path and you'll enter through a narrow gate, once you get into the narrow gate, you enter into the broadness or the abundance of the life that Jesus has promised. He says we've got two choices, right? And, and so it's for us to decide how we're going to respond to Jesus' invitation in our lives. Are we going to pay the cost in this life of being a disciple, choosing the hard path, the narrow path, or are we going to go with the flow, go with the crowd that goes along the broad path through the broad gate. I know for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're choosing life. I hope you are too. Now, our choice really is informed by our belief. What do we believe about who Jesus says he is? You know, we just sung a song, Jesus over everything, right? He's over all of these things in all the earth. The question is, is Jesus your supreme an ultimate authority in your life. If Jesus is supreme, if he really is authoritative in your life, if he really is Lord, then you'll choose the narrow path as well. You'll choose to, to walk on the path of discipleship that does have a cost for us. Now, the wonderful thing about this cost I do want to mention is that Jesus paid the highest cost on the cross at Calvary that enables us to walk by his Holy Spirit, to walk by his grace. But it is still a life of sacrifice, and it does come at a cost. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, again, the audience is listening to the end of this sermon, and they respond to Jesus' teaching with this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I want to pray real quick and ask for God's help. Father, I thank you as we begin to explore your word that is living and active. I pray that you would use it to encourage us, challenge us, God, to shape us, transform our hearts and minds into the likeness of the character of your son, Jesus. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us. Lead us and guide us into all truth. We thank you that you are going to bring about maturation in this building today in our hearts, in the hearts of your people. Help us, Lord, most importantly, to be astonished at Jesus. Let us be amazed at who Jesus is, that we, our hearts will be filled with awe and wonder over his authority, over his love, over his grace, over the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so in his audience, there's a number of different people. Uh, we've talked about this over this whole series, and if you'd like some context, maybe you're just catching up with us in this series, and you're like, man, I just caught the tail end of it. Don't worry. We've got a podcast. Go to northwood.church slash podcast. Choose Northwood Ocean Springs location, and you can actually follow along with uh, all of this locations or any of the other locations teachings as well, because there's some great teachings at all locations. And in the audience, uh, again, just back to context, there would have been many people who were Jewish that grew up hearing good teaching. They weren't a stranger to good teaching. See, they heard from the scribes. They heard from the Pharisees. People would unfurl the scroll in the temple, and they would, they would teach the law of God, the Torah. And, and in that same audience were not just the people that would have heard that teaching, but in that audience would have been the teachers themselves. It would have been scribes and Pharisees in that audience. These are people who are experts in the law of God or in the word of God. And the scribes would have quoted many other teachers and many other rabbis that had handled the word of God as faithfully as they knew how throughout generations. They would have quoted them. They would have said, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. But that's not what gave scribes, that didn't give scribes authority. Now, it's not a bad thing to quote other teachers. We quote other theologians. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll quote ideas in order to help give context. But that's not what actually makes teaching authoritative. And, and Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't quote other scribes, other Pharisees. As a matter of fact, he would say things like this. You've heard it said, and he would give an example. You've heard it said, you shall not divorce. But then he would say, but I say, he's undoing those quotes. He's saying, you've heard it said like this. I'm going to tell you what it is. I say, if you even lust upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? And, and here we start to see the heart of Jesus, the heart of the law. And he did that all throughout this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' teaching wasn't new necessarily. He wasn't teaching this new idea as much as he was giving us a clear picture of what the heart of God in relationship to those old teachings was. He wasn't doing away with the law. He wasn't doing away with the Torah. He wasn't doing away with the Old Testament. But he was illuminating it. He was making it clear to people what God intended for them to understand. He revealed the heart of the law. And ultimately, as he revealed the heart of the law, he was really revealing his own heart. That's what he was doing. His heart is reflected in and through the law of God. And so Jesus taught the word with authority. You need to know this because he is the word. It's his heart. He's the word. John 1 says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So just real quick, shows two distinct situations here. The word being the same as God, but also the word being separate and present with God, right? And that's who Jesus is. And it says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst men. That's Jesus. He 
stepped off his throne, became flesh, and came to live with humanity so that he could empathize with us and so that he could bear the weight of our sin on the cross at Calvary. And and so a lot of people think that when a teacher, let's just kind of zoom out for a second and look at like a modern context. Let's just look at me. A lot of you might think that if I have a gift and I walk in that gift, right, and I teach well, that that's what makes me authoritative. It's not. What makes me preach in authority or teach in authority is two things. Is am I flowing in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Has he literally got his hand on the teaching, right? That's why I pray every time before I get up on this platform, get me out the way, God. You, Holy Spirit, you've got to move through this and move on your people's hearts. And am I teaching the word of God? Because it's the word of God, Jesus himself, but here we have the Logos word that's written. Am I teaching the word of God? Because it's the word of God that's actually authoritative. If I'm not doing those two things, being led by the spirit and teaching the word of God, I am not teaching with any authority outside of my own authority. And so Jesus was teaching with complete and perfect authority because he is God and because he is the word. Now, Jesus' teaching doesn't only reveal his authority through his words that he spoke. You got to understand authority is not just the spoken word. His authority is literally revealed because of who he is. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority. He is the ultimate and supreme expression of the authority of God. There's no other authority higher than Jesus. And that's why this message is called today, in case you were wondering. Yeah, that's just the intro. (laughs) Surrendering to Christ's authority. Surrendering to Christ's authority. That's the message that I pray the Holy Spirit helps you and I myself get into my heart, our hearts today. Now, that word authority comes from the Greek word exousia. Most of you don't care, but I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm not lying. <laughs> He's like, I wish you'd stop using those already, <laughs> John. Ah, cool, cool. Exousia really points us towards this thinking about uh, terms of jurisdiction, or, or uh, it's a term of dominion over a certain realm, certain right, a certain privilege, or a certain ability. And so authority is, is this, this rule or this jurisdiction or this dominion over many different things. Think about a, a sheriff in Jackson County. They have a jurisdiction. They're over Jackson County. Think about a, a a congressperson, okay? We have a, a congressman in, in, in Mississippi. They have a certain jurisdiction over a certain district, right? Think about a governor. They have a jurisdiction over a certain state. Think about a president. There's a jurisdiction over a certain na- nation, right? There are presidents all over the world that have jurisdiction or, or, or a responsibility to preside over a certain realm, rights, privileges, and ability. Interestingly, and so there's authorities on earth, right, that actually have policy that they live by, and when they implement policy, it actually dictates the direction of the people group over which they preside or have jurisdiction, right? So if a, if a congressperson submits policy legislation or, or the president, you know, submits an executive order, that policy actually impacts the trajectory of a people. 
Now, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus also has policy. That's what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. This is my kingdom policy. And if we apply Jesus' policy to our lives, then his policy will dictate the direction of our lives. It will dictate the direction of the church. And even though that there's other authoritative figures that might be over us, there is one supreme, one ruling and reigning authority over all authorities on earth. His name is Jesus, and it's his policy that we ultimately surrender to, surrendering to Christ's authority. Now, Jesus' supreme authority was given to him before the foundations of the earth. This is not something that he got when we decided to give it to him, right? We didn't vote him in. You know we didn't vote Jesus in the office, okay? Like he didn't run a campaign, and, and then, you know, we went to the ballot box. You know, we didn't, none of that happened. Before you were born, before the foundations of the earth, the Father gave authority to Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, we've been reading through the book of Matthew, right, through the Sermon on the Mount. Just a few chapters later, Jesus says this about his authority. All things. How many things? Some things? A few things? A couple things? One thing? All. All things. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Man, come on. What a gift from the Father to his Son. But even more so, what an expression of God's intent, his purpose for setting Jesus up as the king of kings. Matthew 28, later in this same gospel account, you've heard this before, all authority, not just some, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus speaking again of himself. He's got all of authority, not just in heaven, in the heavenly realm, in that, in that place that sometimes we struggle to understand, that we pray, God, would you just cause heaven to break through so that we can experience some of your grace, so that we can experience your power, so that we can experience and understand your will. God, would you help that break through? It's not just that, though it is that. It's also literally all authority on earth. But we just see in the arrogance of man, men setting themselves up as their own authority on earth but he's not done with setting his own authority up on earth. And, and, and we're going to see him accomplish that, maybe not in this life, but at some point Jesus will take full dominion over even this land. And, and I just look forward to that. That's why we say we're doing this until Jesus returns, right? Now the question is, what, do, what does Jesus do with his authority? I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Really enjoy the participation. Jesus, I'm going to give you five things. He's got authority to do five things, and it's not limited to these five things, but these are the five things that, that we're going to talk about today. And uh, the first one is that Jesus has the authority to deliver. Now, I'm not talking about waiter or DoorDash. Jesus isn't bringing a package of food to your front door so that you can get a good meal. Now, I'm not suggesting Jesus won't send somebody with a package of food <laughs> to your door. And I pray for that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, just send a good meal. Just, I mean, Amy provides great meals all the time. But I'm just like, so she doesn't have to cook, and I don't have to think about it. And I'm just like, hey, I'll take a door dash. But is that really what we're talking about here? That's not what we're talking about here. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to go look at another gospel account. Jesus begins his ministry with a call to repentance. He says, repent for the kingdom of God, 
or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so he calls people to repentance, which is really, <laughs> you got to be pretty brazen in your confidence to say, hey, repent, if you haven't even really begun to, you know, engage people with your message. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. He says, repent. He knew he was Lord. He knew he had authority. And then he calls disciples to follow him, right? And then he teaches with authority in the temples. We know that eventually he taught with authority in many aspects. But before he really moves too far forward with his ministry, we see Jesus delivering someone. What does that mean? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, they were all amazed and they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. That's what happened. There was a man who was oppressed by this demonic spirit, an evil, unclean spirit, and Jesus spoke to that spirit and commanded that spirit to leave that vessel, that man. And they were amazed by it. And they said, what is this, a, a new teaching with authority? At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So you've got his authoritative teaching. But then you also have his authority over that unclean spirit. And when people saw these things, they were amazed and his fame spread. Isn't that what we're praying for? That the fame of Jesus would spread in all of Ocean Springs and all of the surrounding areas? Well, I think he wants to do that. And a lot of times the way that he spreads his fame is by displaying his authority. Now, culture is not okay with what I just talked about, really. If, if you talk to a lot of people, they're not okay with the idea that maybe there's an evil spirit. Maybe there's a demonic presence in this world that could actually impact someone's life. As a matter of fact, it's not just culture. Even certain church traditions, certain theological persuasions, which we're open to a lot of diversity. We have a very uh, uh, diverse, you know, understanding and, and, and balance, I believe. You know, take it or leave it. But uh, uh, interpretation, application of the text. So we make room for a lot of different denominational persuasion. But at the same time, man, there's some things that you just can't ignore from the word and, and even some parts of the church would say you can't there's no evil spirits there's no demonic interaction between that realm and, and humanity and that's just not true now the funny thing is is that while culture's not okay with that they'll at the same time be enamored by the ufos and the aliens that are obviously flying in our airspace and 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 they'll lay down on a mat in the middle of a floor and surround themselves with crystals that and they imbibe energy from that and they'll chant yoga mantras but they got a problem with this you know it's kind of funny it's not but it is it's kind of deceptive really that the the enemy would cause people to believe that there's this universal energy but that it can't be it can be neither good nor bad it just is that's deceptive there's a good universal energy his name is Yahweh and then there's the bad universal energy principalities and powers of the darkness it's real it's it's part of this world and and we're impacted by that at a very high level at times and we need to be mindful that we not fall to the deception and that and that we need to be discerning and, and really learn how to respond to those attacks from, from that realm, from, from those unclean spirits. And so Jesus exercises his authority. Now, we're not going to 
get into how he exercises that authority. I'm not here to, to talk to you about how we should walk in that authority, how we should deal with those things. That's a whole nother teaching for a whole nother environment, right? But what I will say is that Jesus has authority over even demons. He has authority over every principality and power of the darkness. And you know what? Demons quake and tremble at the name of Jesus. You, you want to know how to walk in authority? At the very least, speak the name of Jesus over the darkness. It pushes darkness back. Jesus has the authority to deliver. I want to move on to the next one. Second, Jesus has the authority to judge. Ooh. John chapter 5, verse 27, he, speaking of the Father, has given him, now Jesus is speaking of himself, because these are word, letters written in red, right? Jesus is saying, he, the Father, has given me, in essence, authority to e execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. I don't know why Jesus is speaking in the third person here, but sometimes I do that and other people think I'm weird. And, uh, I mean, I asked my wife, she's like, what are you talking, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Just a little side conversation. I'll let you know when you're invited. <laughs> You're laughing really hard. <laughs> okay, that was too much to divulge. Sorry about that. Jesus has the authority to judge. Now, we know that that judgment is not for those people who are under the blood of Jesus, who have experienced salvation and who walk in Christ. But for those who are apart from Christ, there is a judgment that Christ will render and ultimately, Christ will render a judgment even over his church. It's not about salvation or, or condemnation, but it's about, hey, how, how did you live your life, right? And Jesus has the authority to judge these things. And, and really, culture is not okay with that either. Culture doesn't like judgy Jesus. Culture, culture likes happy, clappy Jesus. Culture likes Jesus that tells you all the wonderful things about you, that affirms all your, all your you know, trash in our lives. I'm like, just tell me I'm good. Just tell me I'm okay. And, and, and he does. He does. But he also says, but I love you so much that I refuse to leave you the way that you are. He's judging our lives and saying, that's outside of my will for your life. Aren't you thankful that he renders perfect and righteous judgment on our lives? But culture's not okay with that. And they're happy to judge everyone else. Just don't judge them. We do that even. You know, in a church, do you know that? That's the heart of the Pharisee. Be judging everybody else. Hey, who are you talking to? Don't judge me. You know, that happens in, in, in Christendom as well. This is just the sin nature. And that's why there's a perfect authority who judges these things, Jesus. Now, I'm thankful that Jesus' authority doesn't stop at judgment, aren't you? You know what else Jesus has authority to do? Third, Jesus has the authority to forgive we're going to swing back over to Mark chapter 2 now, right? Same gospel we started in just a minute ago. Remember, his fame had spread. He had just delivered that person from demonic oppression, from bondage, right? His fame spreads in all the land. And, and some people are coming to see him, and he's teaching in houses, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and he happens to be in this one house, this particular instance. And some friends said, my friend is paralyzed. I believe he has authority to heal. And... 
and, and I'm going to bring my friend to Jesus to see if he'll do that for my friend. And so they get him on top of the roof, they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower him down because they couldn't get past all the people that were surrounding Jesus in this house. Now, just side note, man, you know, I know, I know we love a small church because it's intimate and it's, it's sweet. But I wouldn't mind if our church looked like Jesus's church as well and that there was people falling out of the doors <laughs> because that is what we see Jesus doing. So we can continue to pray that we be faithful in this moment, but also that he would bring increase. And so people go to where Jesus is teaching. They lower their friend through the roof. Anybody got some friends that will do that for you? You're all jacked up. and They'll bring you to Jesus, you know, snatch you up. No, we're going. That's how a good friend does. And, and they lower him through the roof. And this is what Jesus respond, how Jesus responds. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to that paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I imagine that man who was paralyzed wondering, well, what, what are you talking about? I came for healing. <laughs> Have you not seen? I can't move my legs. Forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. He is blaspheming against Yahweh, against the living God. That's what they're saying. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, the Jews would have understood, the scribes would have understood that it's only the Father, it's only God like that, that is over all things, Jehovah. It's only him that has the ability to forgive. And here Jesus is saying, no, I am forgiving. That was a completely you know, different paradigm than they had ever understood. And you need to understand the reason they said that he's blaspheming, in essence, like violating like the integrity of relationship between him and God, right? That he was trespassing against the law of God, against the truth of God. He's blaspheming, saying, really, because he's comparing himself to God. You thought God forgives. I'm saying I forgive, which in essence was saying I have all authority. And in essence is saying I'm God. That's what Jesus was doing. Completely throwing everything on its back. And you know what? He does because he is God as well as being the son of God. He has the same authority as the father. Never sell Jesus short on that the way that these scribes were. And, and, and he has the authority to forgive. And there's people in this room right now that might not realize that Jesus has the authority to forgive. Maybe you don't realize that for other people in your life. You look at their lives and you're like, man, they're so jacked up. Man, they're so messed up. I don't know that Jesus would ever forgive them. He has all authority over all things. And he has the authority to forgive anything, any situation. And, and, and the reality of it is we even walk in unforgiveness ourselves about our own perspective, about the way that God perceives us because we don't really believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive and we walk in condemnation with a weight and a burden that's crushing. And Jesus is saying, I've, I've already dealt with that on the cross. You just have to bring it to me and surrender it to my authority. You have to lay it down. And we're walking under this, this crushing burden that we were never intended to know. But Jesus wants to take that from us because he has the authority to forgive. You know what? We want to walk in forgiveness as a church. We want to walk in forgiveness with one another. If you're harboring unforgiveness, 
It might be because we are struggling with a, a difficult offense. I, I don't want to diminish that. I'm not suggesting that there's not really hard things that are hard to forgive. I, I get that. Believe me, I, I go on and on about those things. But at the end of the day, if we refuse to forgive, we actually are refusing to believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive. And we're actually suggesting that we have a higher standard for forgiveness than Jesus himself does. That's idolatry. I don't want to be found there. That'll mess us up. So we're going to walk in forgiveness as a people. But we're also going to walk in something else. I want to walk in healing as a church, as an individual. That brings us to the fourth thing. Jesus has the authority to heal. Now remember, they had just accused him of blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Talking like you're God or something, right? They accuse him of blasphemy. And then in verse 8, it says this, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Which is easier to say? Did you know that you could say your sins are forgiven? The person that you said that to might giggle a little or laugh because you don't seem to be the authority that, you know, can forgive sins. You can forgive a trespass, but you can't forgive someone's sins over their life. And here Jesus is saying, you could say that if you want, and I'm saying that too. Jesus is saying, your, sons are for, your sins are forgiven, son, right? But he's saying, to show to you that I mean what I mean when I say that and that I actually have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to do something that you can't even begin to fathom doing. I'm going to heal this man. I'm going to say, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And you know what happens? Watch. But that you may say, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, he's speaking to the paralytic man, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And the man, what did he do? He rose and immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. When's the last time you said that? I've never seen nothing like this. I've, I just want to see Jesus moving in our lives in a way where we would just say, I've never seen anything like this. This is incredible. And, and, and I would say that Jesus does pour out healing mercy on people. Jesus is still healing. Jesus does pour out healing on people's bodies and minds and souls. He will make us, he'll take us from fractured, broken people and make us whole people who know how to walk in his shalom, mind, body, and soul. He'll do that. He can. And, and, and I got some testimonies that I want to share with you, actually. Mr. Uh, Randy over here, Miss Linda's not here today because her, her back's a little under the weather from a long day yesterday at Freedom. We had a great day, didn't we? Yeah. But... Uh, Miss Linda, uh, it was just Friday, uh, had some concerns over the last few weeks about some nodules on his vocal cords, right? On thyroid. Nodules on the thyroid. And so this is not something new to Miss Linda, to Mr. Randy. They've, they've walked through this before. And so they were walking through with faith, but also it's uncomfortable. And, and even maybe some anxiety wants to rise up in us. And so we're, we're just praying. And we're in agreement. We're saying, God, you're bigger than this. Jesus, you're over this. And, 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 and they got some, some concerning, you know, reports. But when they went to go get the biopsy on Friday, there was nothing to biopsy. She'd been healed. We never saw anything like this. <laughs> That's Miss Linda. 
Miss Deidre sitting here on the second row. Hey, Deidre. Say, hey, Deidre. Praise the Lord. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> Healing. And they were amazed. Miss Deidre went in for some things unrelated to what she experienced, found some lesions on the liver. The bilirubin numbers were up in her liver uh, just from some other tests. Lesions on the liver, it's obvious uh, to you who's got a medical background, you know exactly what that meant. You understood the tone with which that information was brought to you. It was a serious deal, right? You went back for some films, and they couldn't find the lesions on the films. Healing in Deidre's body. Look, I do believe. I, I've prayed for someone, uh, in actually my allergist. I prayed for her a few years back. She, she was bleeding out of her lungs. She kept coughing up blood. I shared this with you guys a, a number of weeks ago. Can't remember why, but was testifying about this because I watched God heal her when I prayed over her. I checked back with her for a year and a half. Still healed? I'm healed. Still healed? I'm healed. She said, I ain't never seen anything like this. <laughs> God still heals. Now, I do have a question, and I didn't ask for permission, so forgive me if I overstepped the boundaries here, but your uh, good friend, Mr. Harold, uh, we prayed for his healing as well. And, uh, and he, he did not experience that healing. He recently passed. And so we pray for healing, and God has the authority, Jesus has the authority to heal, and we rejoice when we get those testimonies, and we should. But what about when the healing doesn't come? Does Jesus still have the authority to heal? What about when, when we lose that battle? Is there still a battle that's been won? You know, I, I've got to ask, you know, what is our motivation for seeing Jesus heal? Is it to see his authority expressed on earth, or is it simply to get what we want? Now, I would say that it's natural to, to want to be healed. It's okay if you want to be healed. You should want to be healed. I want to live more of this life for God's glory. But if you only want to be healed and you don't want the glory of God to be the outcome of your healing, you don't want the authority of Jesus to be the thing that's expressed as you testify about that healing, you got the wrong motivation. And, and, and you know what? You know, God will have to sort that out. And the reality of it is, I just need you to know this. Not everybody will be healed. There's things I've prayed for that have not been healed because we still live in this fallen, broken world that is subject to the curse of sin and death. And, and we're going to see symptoms of that curse playing out in life. But the wonderful thing is, is that while Jesus is healing on earth, the most important healing that he desires to bring is the one that he brings when people enter into the fullness of his glory and they are given a new body where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. You know, healing is one of those things we have to hold in tension, but we always want to acknowledge that Jesus has the authority to heal. Now, the fifth thing that Jesus has the authority over, he has the authority to conquer death. How about that? Revelations 1.18 says this, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, but for the church forevermore. And Jesus is revealing himself saying, I'm alive forevermore. And what? I have the keys of death and Hades. You know what keys represent? Authority. 
You got the keys to the house, you're the authority in that house. You got the keys to the car, you driving. Jesus has the keys over death, over all of hell. He actually has authority, and it's through the cross that Jesus actually codified that authority. When he died on the cross, was buried in that tomb, did war against hell and death in that tomb, came out of that tomb by the power of the Holy Spirit, holding the keys of the grave, saying, I'm victorious. He's got authority to conquer death. And the wonderful thing about it is that we share in that same victory. We, people who are saved by Jesus, who are filled with his spirit, which comes upon salvation and is renewed daily as we walk out our salvation. He, that same spirit that rose Christ from the grave, lives inside of us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in this world. Amen? And so we walk in that victory even though we're going to experience the symptoms of sin and death in this life. And so this is why Jesus' authority was challenged, because the enemy doesn't want us to walk in that authority. The enemy doesn't want Jesus' authority to be displayed. As a matter of fact, the enemy wants the authority for himself. And so he's done everything over time to destabilize and deceive the church and, and God's people um, from believing in Christ's authority and walking in his authority. Jesus' authority was challenged. In Mark chapter 11, we see this. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Who gave you the keys? (laughs) And in Jesus' infinite wisdom, he asks them this question, which they, and maybe it's a little wisdom, (laughs) refused to answer because they knew if they answered the question that Jesus asked, it would actually invalidate their authority and would only affirm even more so his authority. And so this is how they answered Jesus. We don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He said, I'm not going to play your game. I don't need to prove myself to you. You're, 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 you're making it hard for people to enter into heaven. I'm, I've, I've got another plan, and you obviously don't want to be part of it, and so, so I'm not going to answer to you. And so Jesus' authority is met with resistance because it's God's authority, the authority of God who is the objective standard of morality in all the world. Of course the enemy wants to to destabilize God's authority. And he's still doing it today. There's all kinds of lies out there that we feed on ourselves, that our children are feeding on, that, that are being propagated even in some pulpits in the church. And, and, you know, it's hard to always be right. You know, so, you know, we don't want to suggest that there's not room for maybe some error at times. We, we dealt with that a few weeks ago when talking about false teaching. But, but man, there, we have a great responsibility to steward the mystery of the gospel of grace and to represent it well because it ultimately comes down to whether or not people will believe it and give Jesus all the authority that he demands. And we have a choice now of how we'll respond to his authority. And I'm going to just kind of 
skip some rocks here. We're going we're gonna to look at some stuff that's going to really give you a clearer picture of our mission as a church. What does Jesus' authority mean for us? Of course, I'm talking about apart from the things we already discussed, apart from the fact that he has the authority to deliver, apart from the fact that he has the authority to forgive and, and, and heal and conquer death, apart from the fact that he's already done those things, what does it look like to walk in the authority of Jesus? Well, by we are given God's authority to co-labor in accomplishing the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the mission of God, Missio Dei. We exist to be faithful to the mission of God, Missio Dei. In Matthew chapter 28, I started to read from it earlier. We're going to finish that verse 18 now. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, that's an imperative, like do this, go, go therefore. I got the authority, you're going to walk in it, go, run along, do the thing. And this is what he says, the thing is, the thing is, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I love that he said behold, that's like, and, 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 and take note. Get ready, brace yourself, because I'm going to give you something that really is important right now. I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the age. And so as followers of Jesus, as his church, as his people, we follow Jesus' mission. That's the call of discipleship. Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Manifesto, all throughout this series, that's what we've been kind of expressing and laying out. This is a call to discipleship. And our mission at Northwood Church is aligned with the Great Commission. What's our mission? We build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. This is what we're doing here. And, and it's exactly what Christ commanded us to do there. And so we're helping people know God. That's salvation. They're, they're coming to a, a repentance and, and, and putting their trust in the finished work of Jesus, and then they're growing in Christ, right? We grow every time we sit down together in this environment and listen to the teaching of the word. Every time we encourage one another, there's opportunity for growth. Every time we gather in group settings like sermon-based groups or freedom groups, of course, those just wrapped up, but starting in August, we'll be rolling out our new group semester, and, and, and we grow in those places. We grew yesterday at the Freedom Conference. Anybody grow yesterday? I grew a little bit yesterday, all right? And so we grow in Christ. As a matter of fact, we've got some people that have been growing in Christ that are going to be baptized today at the Gillum's house because they want to take their next step with Jesus. That's what's happening here. We're growing in Christ. And so we're growing in Christ, and ultimately his intent is that we would go into the ends of the earth, all tribes, all tongues, all different kinds of neighbors, all different kinds of circumstances, even into a mess. We'll say yes to the mess and we'll go there and bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's one. Two, we are given God's authority to seek and save the lost. Talk about going. That's what we're doing. We're seeking and saving the lost with Jesus. Now, he's the one that really does the seeking by his Holy Spirit and the saving, right? But we cooperate with him. He uses us as instruments in his hands. Luke 19 says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and we just go on the journey with him. And so we're helping others know God by preaching the gospel, the authority of the word, right? 
We're preaching the, the, the scriptures and, and we're, we're sowing seeds of faith in people's lives. And, and hopefully we're living by the grace of God, knowing that we'll mess up at times, with a testimony that reflects the transformative power of God working in and moving through our lives. So that people see, wow, their God must be real. Because that dude's different. That woman is different that they'd be amazed by the work of God in our lives, right? We will fall short at times, and his grace is sufficient. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to be perfect. But isn't it wonderful that then, in that moment, we can say, man, so thankful that even in my imperfection, I serve a perfect God whose forgiveness goes beyond any of my weakness. His, his, his strength is made perfect in my weakness, and I boast in him and him alone. So we're given authority to seek and save the lost, and then we are given God's authority to destroy the works of the enemy. 1 John chapter 3, and this is our last one. This is where we're wrapping up, and if we want to bring some keys up, that would be great. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know, I've been, uh, I've been saved for about 15 years now. I know what I come out of. I know that the devil had done some really profound destructive things in my mind, in my heart, deep traumas, soul wounds, brokenness in relationship, really just God needed to do a work in my life. He needed to, to destroy the works of the enemy in my life. And then throughout my walk, because I've seen that transformative power of God operating in my life, I said, now I want to go and be part of doing that in other people's lives. And so for almost 15 years and, and 12 years official ministry capacity, no, really 13 or so years in official ministry capacity, eight years on staff at the church, now just pastoring, you know, in this location for the last couple years. I have seen many people overwhelmed and afflicted by and, and, and just, just in torment over the destruction that the enemy has brought to their lives. It's hard, this life. And, and Jesus is calling us to partner with him in destroying the works of the enemy. If he's done it in you, he can do it in others. If he's done it before, he can do it again. And I know sometimes we're walking through our own brokenness and we're like, I don't have much to give. But sometimes that's the place where God can actually testify of his grace most when we're, when we're confessing about how broken we are but how good he is, right? And, and so as we testify about his goodness we're actually undoing the lies of the enemy. And, and, and we're undoing the deception that's sown itself into our minds and our hearts. We're destroying the works of the enemy because Jesus, he wants us to do that. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction, that we might be comfort to others in theirs. He wants us to be transformed people who are not just transformed in our hearts and minds for his glory, though that, that's a critical, but also so that we can be transformed people that go on the mission of bringing transformation to other people's lives for his glory and their good. We're saved to save. We're healed to heal. We're delivered to deliver. We're called to go. We're called to set the captives free with Jesus. And you know what? We should expect a target on our back. Here at Northwood Church Ocean Springs, I can tell you right now, it is not a coincidence that some of us have been walking through the hardships that we've been walking through. 
It is not a coincidence that your marriages have been struggling. It's not a coincidence that you've been more weary and more fatigued and have had more anxiety and have had depression to wrestle with. It's not a coincidence that there's been relational things to work through. It's literally the plan of the enemy to destroy your life. And when we begin to advance the mission of Jesus in a place to push back the kingdom of darkness, he resists it. There's a tar- there is a target on our backs if we're doing anything for God. And so we've got to be aware of that. And we've got to be discerning. And we've got to continue to walk in the authority of Jesus. And we've got to warfare in God's authority. We've got to pray against those spiritual, spiritual strongholds and those principalities and powers of the darkness and resist the enemy and run to Christ. And when we resist the enemy, he flees. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to resist the enemy. We've done it with truth. We resist the enemy by confessing the righteousness of Jesus. We resist the enemy by proclaiming the gospel. We resist the enemy by standing in faith. We resist the enemy by walking in salvation. We resist the enemy by inviting and, and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. And that's, that's what I want to do right now. So I want, to, I want to stop and I want to pray. And I just want to remind us of a couple truths. And then I want to make space for you to receive this truth, to receive Jesus if you haven't ever before. And from there, let's just pray for God and his authority, Jesus and his authority to prevail in our lives today. So, Father, we come before you right now. I thank you for every single soul that's in this room right now, every soul that's in those other rooms, those beautiful children that you have blessed us with. Lord, I just pray right now that the plan of the enemy would be broken off every one of our lives and that we would recognize the authority of Jesus, that we would surrender to the authority of Jesus, and that we would learn to walk in the authority of Jesus. God, I pray for those people that are in this room right now that have never surrendered to Jesus and his lordship, that have never received the salvation of Jesus, that have never received his grace and mercy. God, Holy Spirit, God, would you just crack the hardness of their hearts open that they might receive you now. If that's you in this room right now, you're saying, I feel like that's me. I feel like I just need to receive Jesus. I feel like I need to, to, to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness, to, to receive his grace. Just open your heart to Jesus. Say, I'm here. Father, have your way with me. That's your prayer. Jesus, I trust you. Keep praying. Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, increase my faith to believe you. Jesus, forgive me for my sin, past, present, and future. Take all of my sin, Jesus. I give it to you. I nail it to the cross. I surrender. God, for those people that just prayed that prayer and for the rest of us in this room today, Lord, would you help us to resist the enemy? Right now, Lord, I just pray that you would cause us to to discern what the enemy is trying to do in our lives and that we would no longer resist the enemy with, with fleshly weapons of warfare, Lord, but that we would resist the enemy with spiritual weapons of warfare that are that are good to tear down strongholds, that are good to undo the works of the enemy in our lives, Lord, and that we would that we would declare the truth of Jesus over our own lives and over each other's lives, that we would be encouraged in our faith by one another, Lord, that that we would sense your Holy Spirit doing things in our lives and transforming our minds, and that we will walk with boldness and confidence in that today. 
Help us, Lord, as we wrap up this series, Kingdom Manifesto, to remain rooted and anchored in Christ Jesus, knowing that he has all authority over all heaven and all earth, even my own life. God, we surrender to you now, fresh and anew, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, would you lift up a hearty amen? Amen.